All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. The UFC is coming back to Canada, everybody. It's been gone for 10 years. Now it's back in Vancouver at Rogers Arena, and it's going to be a good one. Saturday, June 10th, championship fight between Emmanuel Nunez and number five ranked contender Irene Aldana. That's not all. The former champion, Charles Olivier, is taking on the surging number four seed, Daniel Dariush. That's going to be a good one. There's some Canadians on the card. Also, Mike Malott from Burlington, Ontario. My hometown fighter, Jasmine Yasudafius, is going to be fighting. And a couple other Canadians are on the card as well. So check it out. It's going to be a good one. I'll be watching. Tim will be watching. Saturday, June 10th, UFC 289. Don't miss it. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Dropping the Gloves here on Ice Wednesday. Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing good, John. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I got bad news. Uh-oh. Um, there's an issue with the grass. What? But before, But before that, I got to talk about the UFC fight coming up on June 10th. There's a big UFC 289. Amanda Nunes and something Aldana are facing off for a championship bout. I'm excited. Tim's excited. We're going to watch it. Friend of the show, Mike Malott, is taking part in the fight. He's looking to extend his UFC undefeated streak to 3-0. and It's going to be great. It's in Vancouver. First time the UFC is coming back to Canada in a decade. I want you all to check it out because I know Tim's going to be watching, right, Tim? I will be watching. I can't wait. First time. I can't I can't wait either. It's going to be great. So check it out. UFC 289, Nunez versus Aldana, Vancouver. Check it out. Back to my grass. So it's coming in nice. You know, there's some patchy spots. It didn't take. I woke up yesterday. I look out my window. A massive mound is all I can see across the way. You know what that means? You probably don't because you've never owned land before. It's a mole. A mole has infiltrated my grass. And I'm like, dang it. And so I go out there. I set a live mole trap. It goes off. I think I killed it. I just didn't dig it up because I didn't want to make a big hole, a bigger hole. I wake up this morning. Another one about 50 yards away. I'm like, how are these moles? You figure after all these excavation vehicles, backhoes and this and that driving over it, guys walking around, like literally digging 20 feet into the earth 
replacing it with new earth, that the moles would just be a little nervous to go in this area for a while. Now they're just destroying it. So it's just, and I don't know, you don't know this, Tim, you're a city boy with no land. (laughs) The moles, they, they're such a small animal, but the mounds they make are, I'm not kidding about two feet in diameter and probably eight to 10 inches high, the amount of ground they displace. And because this dirt is so fresh, it's not packed down. It just really, it really chapped me. It really made me upset. So I'm going to try to kill again tonight. I'm going to set another live trap and I'm going to murder this mole. And hopefully it sets the precedent to all the other moles to just stay out of my grass because it just ruins it. It ruins it. So it's just not good. It's just not good. So you did kill the first mole with a trap? I hope so. I didn't see the body. The way the trap works is you you find the mole tunnel because they tunnel under the ground six to eight inches beneath the surface. And so you have to dig down, find the tunnel. You pat down the dirt in the middle of their tunnel. So they have to open it up again to go through it. But unbeknownst to the dumb mole, I have a trap on top. As soon as they dig out that mole, it raises up a little lever and six spikes fire into the earth to kill it, to pierce its body. And hopefully it bleeds out and dies. So that's what a mole, that's what, that's the mole trap that I have. And when I pull it up, I think the mole slides off of the spikes and I leave it in the earth for its friends to see. So it tells everybody don't mess with this ombre. That's what I'm hoping. Or it just went off on its own and one of my kids triggered it. So I don't know, but it it definitely got triggered and the spikes deployed and they go down fast, Tim. Like they don't mess around. Like they, it would puncture your hand in a second if it if you triggered it and you were going through the tunnel. Can't you just get a little trap above ground where you put peanut butter on it and as soon as they activate it, it closed both ends, throw it in the back of the truck, you drive it a couple miles, you release it into the woods somewhere else. No one gets hurt. Moles are nocturnal. They don't come above earth unless they have to. So they're always underground. So I, you would have to put the trap in the tunnel, cover it up. You listen, you tree hugging granola eaters, you stay off my land. Okay. <laughs> I'm killing this mole. I did that with chipmunks at my old house. Cause my kids were upset. Let's, we got to catch them and release them. So I kept doing it, kept doing it. The chipmunks still tore up my ground. And so I just like, I'm done playing nice with these animals. And that's what they are. They're stinking animals. I'm going to kill them and I'm going to leave them under the ground. So whatever, if there's any mole lovers out there, send me a way to kill this animal humanely and I'll try or (laughs) kill it humanely. No, like catch it humanely, but it's just tearing up my fresh grass, man. You city boys in your concrete jungles don't understand that. Tim. John, I did property management for eight summers. I set lots of traps, did lots of animal catchings. I'm not a city boy. You city slickers don't get it. (laughs) yeah okay well what's the biggest animal you caught then uh not big animals but just lots of them and i was always humane it was always just those i mean they were squirrels and chipmunks mostly and so they're easier to capture one of the better traps i did at my old house we had a little mouse issue i got a five gallon bucket i filled it up with about you know seven inches of water i drilled a hole on either side and put a dowel through and then i in the middle of that dowel i put a beer can and smeared peanut butter on it And then I put ramps up to the side of the bucket 
So the mice would walk up the side of the ramps, smell the peanut butter, try to jump on it or lick it and fall into the water and drown themselves. I'm psycho, Tim. I'm a psycho. How many did you catch there? Like one. <laughs> not many. <laughs> not many. Maybe two. But like I spent a lot of time. And so I would wake up every day and I would run down to the basement because it was in my mechanical room. I'm like, how many did I get today? One, maybe two. So it was a it was a waste of effort. Just whatever you do with the mice or anything else, just don't do the sticky traps. Those are the worst ones. They're the most inhumane ones. Yeah, because they just struggle. Yeah, I've never done yeah. those. My neighbor did that. He was he had a red squirrel camp come into his house and he could hear it in the rafters. So he put a sticky trap in his cabinets because they got into his cabinet somehow. So one night he was sleeping. All of a sudden he hears just all all hell breaking loose in his kitchen. And I guess the squirrel stepped into the sticky trap and just went berserk. He just tore up his house. It's so funny to me. But just imagine this squirrel with a sticky trap stuck to its leg. Like, it's it's a squirrel. It's not going to just all of a sudden lay down and die. So it just tore up his whole house. It was really funny. He's like, yep, not doing that again. That's so funny. Oh, too good. You know what's not good, Tim? That's a good metaphor. <laughs> the Florida Panthers are the sticky tape right now of the NHL, where it's just like, what are we doing here? They're useless. And after game two of the Stanley Cup finals, it's not even fun to watch. I'll be honest. It's four nothing after two, seven to two after three. The only entertaining parts of the game are just the rough stuff. And there was a bunch of rough stuff in this game. I feel like I don't want to go into the breakdown because Florida stinks up and down the ice. The forwards stink, the defense stink, the goalies stink. Everybody is just playing subpar. My only question is, do you feel like they're just leaning into the physical game too much to where they went into this series with an agenda? They said, you know what? We have to punish these guys every chance they get. The Vegas Golden Knights are a good team. They can score on any given line at any given night at any given time. They've proved it throughout these playoffs. They're super deep. Maybe the edge that we have is that we could punish them physically. And that's how they went into the series thinking we need to finish every check, get in their faces, muck it up after the whistle, turn this into a war at every chance we can. And that's all they're doing now. After every whistle, during the play, they're finishing every check to the point where they're being taken out of the play, Tim. Do you think it's, do you think it's working? Do you think it's a good plan or it? Is it even a plan? And they're just reverting back to that because they're just out of every game. They know they don't have the talent to keep up with the Knights. Well, it's obviously not working. And and it was their game plan. They've done this in every round, but we said that in the preview. Even Radko Gudis was talking about, um, he's like, the other team's going to hate me by the end of this. Like, they're all just going to hate me. That's his thing, and that's his MO. But yeah, I mean, it only gets you so far. And and part of it does work, because even when Boston um, was winning game one and then Florida mm-hmm. tight one game two, Boston goes up three to one in the series. You started to see that physicality come out. And that's sort of what brought them back was that physicality and the toughness and the after whistle stuff and just wearing down your opponent, blowing them up in the corners and like the, the simple stuff and just, just breaking them down. And Boston didn't live up to it. Um, and so they did similar things with the other series, although they never fell behind. And so what you're seeing is Vegas, they're doing two things. They're They're not falling for it. Right. They're they're not crossing the line. They're not getting as many penalties. We'll talk about the, the PIMs from both games, but also they're they're doing it back in just a way that's not crossing the line either. And so they're just they're matching them too well. And so Vegas is it's just not gonna work. That all said, what do we always say? The series doesn't begin 
until the home team loses a game. And the home team hasn't lost, but boy, oh boy, it sure feels like it, doesn't it? Because going into game three, and I don't want to bet against Florida because I've done this through the first three rounds. Actually, the, the third round, I thought they were going to win, and they did decisively. I just thought Florida, they're overmatched. And now all of a sudden they're down two. They haven't even, they don't even have a glimmer of hope. After game one, I said, okay, you know what? I can see a way to get back into the series. You made mistakes. We we can learn from that. We can improve on those mistakes and, and move forward. They did not make any adjustments from game one to game two. They almost doubled down on the way they played at the end of game one. They came out, they scrummed it up, they hit, they tried to play physical. And yeah, they had a few good chances. Aiden Hill played well. You didn't have to do much, you know? It was Vegas's game throughout throughout the sixty minutes, but I don't know. Tim, are you are you questioning your Florida pick now going into Game Three? I am because even though we said that series doesn't start, Florida won something like nine straight road games heading into the series, and so this was like this was their bread and butter, and they and they planned on at least splitting in this building, and maybe they knew they wouldn't um, take two, but. To go down home with all the momentum going against you and not just losing, but losing decisively. I mean, what's this? What are they getting outscored in, across two games? Like 12 to four or something? 12 to like, four. Yeah, it's just it's not looking good. Bobrovsky's not looking good. And the star players that are brought in to this point aren't, aren't scoring anymore. Yeah, Kachuk's trying like he's doing everything he can. Vegas is keying on him pretty well. Like they they have shut him down for the most part. He picked up a garbage goal last game. Who cares? I think Vegas, where they're succeeding, is you're just overwhelming Florida. They have three lines that are just going at them every single second of the game. You got Eichel, Marshall, Barbashev, who are look unstoppable out there. Marshall has scored again. That's 11 of his last 12 games he's got a goal, which is incredible. Like He might just be taking over the Conn Smythe Trophy without anybody talking about him. He's playing incredible. Then you got Stevenson, Stone, Howden, who, uh, even though they're theoretically a shutdown line, Mark Stone is perennially in the Selkie conversation. Chandler Stevenson is a moose out there who's never in a bad spite. And Brett Howden can't stop scoring goals himself. They're playing fantastic. And then you go down to Carlson Smith and Amadio, who always seem to score every game. And then they shut down the other team's top line. So it's it's just line after line after line of just scoring defensive responsibility. And they also have a little physical element on every line. So it's not like you're just rolling over and dying. Vegas is giving it back. Barbashev, who I thought was the best pickup at the deadline, and he's, you know, that's ringing true. He's playing fantastic in these playoffs. He demolished friend of the show, Radko Gudis. Like, absolutely. It it was reminiscent of the Dustin Bufflin hit um, years back on Mark Stone. It was such a bone-crushing hit that he laid out on Radko Gudis. And it was a reverse hit, kind of not. Barbashev saw him coming. It was the hardest hit I've seen in these playoffs. And now Gudis is out. No one knows if you're going to play game three. And that's a big loss for the Florida Panthers if he's out. What do you think? He didn't practice today. He didn't come back after that devastating hit. I think he only played two minutes in that game. And luckily, they dressed 7D because foreboding. He was gone. They played six regularly but man oh man what a difference that guy makes what do you think of bar bishop is is he everything you ask for in a deadline pickup it's such an underrated pickup because he's not he's not like a sexy name at the deadline he doesn't score a ton of goals he doesn't like make a ton of money he wasn't one of the hot shots at the deadline and everyone kind of had their eyes on like the tarasenko's and the canes and o'reilly well, even from st louis he wasn't even the top guy from st louis which yeah. is funny everybody forgot he's, about him he was third 
And so, um, yeah, and and you you did call it. I hate to give you credit, but you said he would be the best pickup at the deadline. Here he is, just he's just doing so well, and he does all the little things well. It's very reminiscent of the the minor pickups that Tampa's made in their cup runs. Those little pieces end up making a huge difference if you if you hit a home run, and they've done that with Barbashev. And this guy is looking for a big time pay raise. He's going to be a UFA after this year. He made two and a quarter this past season. He's he will make five million just based off this playoff round. He is the Barclay Goudreau of this year's playoffs, who's just going to cash in and sign a five year, five million dollar deal for twenty five million bucks. And it's just if he doesn't get traded and he stays in St. Louis, he signs for two and a half. That's how big of an impact these playoffs have been for this guy and his pocketbook. It's been incredible. Same goes for Brett Howden. Those two guys are playing fantastic. Howden's going to be an RFA. Going to cash in, man. He gets to play every night with Chandler Stevenson and Mark Stone. Like, how how much better does it get for that? All right. One more question for Florida, then we'll move on. Because everybody, I think I'm just done being negative about Florida. But let's. who needs to step up for the Florida Panthers if they have any chance to come back in this series, Tim? I mean, is it is it a cop out to say everybody? Because that's what it feels like. I mean, Kachuk's doing his job. Right. The goal scorers need to score goals. The Reinhardts, Bennett's, Verhages of the world, they were so good for three rounds, and they've pretty much gone silent so far. Vegas has done a very good job shutting them down. Big part of that is Vegas's defense. Vegas is forward playing two way, and Aiden Hill has just been stellar. So those guys have got to step up. And obviously Bobrovsky to get pulled after what is it four goals and thirteen shots or something? Yeah. Like, that's not that's not the Sergey Brovsky that that got you here, and so obviously they're going to come back with him in Game Three, but he's got to be better. And I wonder, it's, it's crazy to even talk about leash, right? Like we're not talking about taking him out of the game unless we absolutely have to. But like how how much you got to be better? You got you need more from Brovsky. No, he's your guy, and there's no other option because Alex Lyon came in and he was just as bad. So there there's no. 1B waiting in the wings who's going to come in and save the season like Bobrovsky did versus the Bruins. It's just not going to happen. I think Florida's second and third line has to be better. You need Lundell, you need Reinhardt, you need Verhege, Barkov, and Duclair to be better. I'm assuming Bennett, Kachuk, and Cousins are the first line, but they get interchanged quite often with the Barkov line. But but those two lines, the Barkov-Lundell line, they need to be better. They have to. I don't mind Stahl's line. They've been playing okay. They've been getting the best of uh, the keegan Colasar line, and that that's a good matchup for them. But it's it's those second and third lines that you have to be better. You have to. Verhege's had chances. He had a breakaway right at the beginning of last game. If he scores that, maybe it's a different game. They go up one nothing. He was scoring those big goals versus Boston. You know what I mean? He was getting those big goals versus Toronto. Those were going in. They're not going in of late. Anthony Duclair, he, he got one to tie it up 2-2 in game one. Other than that, he's been very, very quiet. He banked it off of D-man's pad. So it's not like he's playing fantastic. So maybe maybe they just need some home cooking, Tim. I don't know. Other than that, anything to add on this series? Um, No. You, want, you mentioned the PIMS. You want to talk about the PIMS? They set a record? Yeah, Kachuk did. So he had 22 penalty minutes, the second... Um... 10 game misconduct in that game 36 in the Stanley cup finals and only through two games. He's got 36 penalty minutes through two games, which is the most ever in the history of the Stanley cup finals, which is crazy. And that he shouldn't be thrown out. I mean, I get they're trying to control the game, but like, this is, this is the guy that everyone's been talking about for a month and a half. Now the threshold for getting him out of the game should be a lot higher. Don't you think? It's dumb. I've, I've been there. We, we've talked about it on the previous show. I got thrown out versus Vancouver in game six. It's not about me always. You're the same player. You and Kajab. But I've been there. No, they should throw me out because I'm a hazard. He's the best player on the team. He's the 
potential heart trophy winner. He's a potential con Smythe trophy winner. You don't throw that guy out. You throw out a Radko Gudis. You know what I mean? You, you throw out a Keegan Colasar. Fourth line guys, they're expendable. First line guy who's on TNT with the NBA guys, who's on the face of every magazine, every article you write about the Stanley Cup finals, he's the guy who's there. You, you don't throw him out. You got to have some awareness if you're a referee. It's a bad move. You want him in the game. I don't care how much he's lipping. I don't care how much fighting there's going to be. You leave him in the game. It's Matthew Kachuk. It's just a bad, bad, bad scenario all around. All right, moving on. There's a big trade, Tim. Big trade. Philadelphia Flyers, LA Kings, Columbus Blue Jackets executed a pretty marquee name going from Philadelphia to Columbus. Ivan Provorov obviously had some issues. Not really. uh, I don't want to get into it. It's all that. All that junk. I'm not going to dip my toe in those waters. He gets dealt from Philadelphia to Columbus, um, going from last place to even worse place. So <laughs> it's it's a lateral move for Ivan Provorov. I don't think he's too excited about this move, just based on a winning perspective. Going to Mike Babcock, which is never good if you're a hockey player. He's not a player's coach. The Flyers, on the other hand, Danny Briere, first trade with the team, did pretty well. Did pretty well, if you don't mind me saying. Picks up a goaltender from the LA Kings, Cal Peterson, once highly, highly, highly sought after goaltender. Played fantastic. The reason Jonathan Quick kind of got skewed out of LA, fell out of favor with the LA Kings. They pick up a first rounder. They pick up a second rounder. Did pretty well for the Philadelphia Flyers to get all of this return for Ivan Provorov, who is a good defenseman. Don't get me wrong. Columbus is getting a pretty stud defenseman. LA Kings pick up some contract on Pavarov. They get rid of Cal Peterson, who was due to make a lot of money next year. They get him off the books. So that was their kind of addition to this deal. They lose some cap space, but they have to retain 30% of Provorov's contract. What do you think of the deal? Who's the winner here, Tim? Out of all three, I think the best player is Provorov going to Columbus. The Flyers get a couple draft picks and a potential goaltender because they've been rumored to trade Carter Hart the last week or so. The, The talks are ongoing on him. It has to be the Flyers that win this deal. I mean, Briere, like you, you make a big move. It's a big gutsy move for your first trade as GM and trading one of the guys who's been there for years and years. But you get a good, bad contract off the books. And Provorov's, I, I was reading about this trade, and he's kind of, he's a bigger name than he is actually impact on the ice. And part of it has to do with the Flyers just not being a good team. And so his stats have gone down like year over year over year. And he's, you think of him as like a, a goal scoring offensive defenseman who plays physical and that's kind of his MO, but he hasn't really done that in the last few years. He's a minus every year, minus 17, minus 20, minus 16. Like he's just, he's just not as good as his name appeal seems to be. That said, you could see him maybe flourish in a new city, new team, new organization. Maybe he's one of those guys that responds well to Babcock's toughness and flourishes there. So hard to say, but you have to give credit for Briere to get rid of that contract, to bring in a first round pick and all these other pieces, a couple of second rounds, other pieces that you that you can deal. So I think they have to be the winner. Yeah, you always say that the team that gets the best player is the winner of the trade, and the best player is Pravra. But uh, I'm just scratching my head. What is Yarmo Kekalainen doing in Columbus? I don't get what he's doing. You're trading away first-round picks. You're taking on contracts. And I don't think Provorov is a bad contract. It's 4.725. I think that's a good deal for him. He is an offensive defenseman. The last goal of the season for them in overtime to put Chicago into the uh, Bedard winning spot was a beautiful goal, coast to coast. But I, I don't mind that. But I just don't see them contending next year. 
know you got Gaudreau. I know you got Line A. But then you'd have nothing. And Line A is even like, that's a stretch. He makes 8.7. That's a bad contract for him, in my opinion. You don't have much after that. The cupboards are pretty bare. I know they're going to have a high draft pick this year. I don't think it's going to make an impact for the next year or two. So what what do you do? Provorov's going to be a UFA in two years. I think it's a lose for Columbus. I think you're right. The winner is Philly. They aren't going to be good for a few years. Get rid of Provorov. Get a first and a second. And rebuild. Start to rebuild now. Don't kind of dip your toe in the waters. Just break it down now. Get rid of everybody. I fully expect Briere to go in like he has and continue to trade players. If he gets rid of Carter Hart, fantastic. If you can find a way to get rid of JVR, that's even better. Just get rid of everybody. I mean, excuse me, Kevin Hayes. JVR is already gone. Kevin Hayes. Get rid of everybody. And just start from because this team doesn't work. It's not going to work. You know, they've, they've proven it the last few years. They went for it. They brought in some defensive help. Ellis, Reese Delainen, Delangelo, all these guys. He brought in some offensive help. He made a big trade, trading Voracek. It, it didn't work. So now we move on. Say la vie. You know, we'll, we'll try something else. And I like what Briere's doing. So far, so good. He made one trade. I enjoy it. Anything else on this, uh, this Timmy boy? Well, the other major takeaway, I know the Briere's only been there for a few weeks, but why didn't the Flyers go dumpster fire at the trade deadline and get rid of him then? Because, you know, like Provorov, I'm sure, would have had some suitors, someone picking up a defenseman at the deadline, the Carter Hearts of the world, see if you can even get rid of him. Probably can't get rid of Kevin Hayes, but why not move some of those contracts earlier? And then you get into not only to get better picks and prospects, but get this is like one of the best drafts in many years. And so why wouldn't you try to help your chances of getting there? I don't, that That confuses me. Chuck Fletcher. <laughs> I don't know. Bad GM. Everybody was wondering that. They did nothing at the deadline. I literally think they did nothing. Everybody was waiting for them to trade anybody. Get rid of get rid of somebody. But no, they didn't trade anybody. They thought they were going to make the playoffs still. I don't know. That's why they brought in Breer, because their GM stunk. You know what else stinks, Tim? Hypocrisy. We're going to step away from hockey a little bit and dip our toe into golf. Friend of the show, Neil Wachowski, reached out. He said, are you going to talk about the Live Golf PGA merger? And I said, what's that? And he's like, you got to talk about it. It's incredible. Tim, what is going on with the Live merger with the PGA? Break well, it down here, for us. <laughs> yeah, here's my understanding, and I don't follow golf that closely. But the Live is another golf organization that started based on, I don't know if it started in, in Saudi Arabia, but it's funded by the Saudi Arabian uh, corporations and stuff. And they started approaching all the PGA Tour players to come play for us. We'll give you a billion dollars, a hundred million dollars. And players started to go a little bit. But the PGA basically said, like, don't go, stick to loyalty, stay with us. And they use the moral ground because of the complications and issues with Saudi Arabia, what happens there to people of minorities and women and everything like that. And they're like, just just, just don't go there. It's not right. Stick with us. We'll take care of you. Right. And then they so some did like Phil went, a bunch of other players went, some stayed. Fast forward two years, PGA mergers would live and all the guys that turned down the money end up going would live anyway. And the PGA loses all of its accountability and credibility by saying it was it chose the higher the moral ground stance and now it's merging with them anyway am i about yeah it just screams hypocrisy and i think what it comes down to at the end of the day is capitalism at its finest you know it is what 
it's a little complicated when it comes to their money, what they do with it. Some people say they fund terrorism. Some people say they remain component in the 9-11 attacks. It's all hearsay. It's probably true. I don't know. I'm not an international, you know, investigator. I don't know. Do they treat their women terribly? Yeah, they do. Okay, they do. Then just leave the live alone. I, I was okay with them, you know, kicking out all those players. That's fine. You can't turn around and just get in the mud with the pigs all of a sudden because they got a lot of money. And that's what that's what the PGA is doing. It's like, okay, you guys are making a lot of money. We could use some sponsors. We could use some of that do re me. We're going to merge with you now. And that's what they're doing. They're doing it because there's a ton of money involved. That's the only reason. They want some of that money, that sweet, sweet money, and they're getting it no matter what. And it's just funny. Just call a spade a spade. You guys are hypocrites and you want to get paid. Like Phil Mickelson, Brooks Kepka, all these guys, they go over there and made hundreds of millions of dollars. Banned forever from the PGA. And now they're walking back in like, you guys are so dumb. I just made $200 million and now I get to play in the PGA. This is fantastic. Where all these guys who said, no, I'm not going to play and live because I'm, like you said, take the moral high ground. I'm a good person. I'm not going to take the dirty money. So they turned down. 300 400 it was rumored that tiger was 750 dollar 750 million dollar range somewhere in there he turned that down and all those other guys got suspended and barred from the pga now you're letting it back in i just lost out on all that money now the money that i win is going to be directly funded by the saudi government like it's it's just crazy it's absolutely crazy so it's just funny and then i just start thinking I, i relate it to hockey and it's like everybody's a hypocrite don't trust anybody Ever when it comes to sports, I've had GM say to my face, don't worry, we're fine. We're going to resign you. They lie to your face. They lie to your face so you they can gain your trust and they'll stab you in the back. And that's exactly what happened here. So it's funny. I, I think it's 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 a shame they should have kept them kicked out. It is what it is. But I guess if you wave enough money in front of somebody, they're going to they're going to take the bait, Tim. You're that way. You're driven by the greenback. Not me, man. Not me. It's it's never personal. It's always business. And so this is they've proven it. Like you said, if there's a chance for a dollar to be made, they don't care what it takes to get it. So people tell me I'm tied into the podcast business now because we're a successful podcast. I think top five or whatever. I consistently get inside people telling me Tim submits his resumes to everybody (laughs) to try to work on other shows to get a higher pay. He does it constantly. The guys from Spit and Chicklets, they say, hey, Tim keeps sending us his resume. I'm like, if you, do you want him? Good luck. <laughs> yeah. And this is the first time I brought it up, but it, it just it's just how it is. It's how it is. Well, I you value know? loyalty, John. So I'm going to go wherever value, they value loyalty the most. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A couple more little quick hits here. Alex Debrinkit, everybody's favorite little goal scorer is apparently on the market, Tim. And I hate to say I told you so, but (laughs) it feels good to be on the right side of the margin for once in a while. His stint in Ottawa has not worked out so well for the Ottawa Senators. They picked him up last year. They gave up a first and third rounder and a prospect. He didn't live up to expectations. Tim thought he was going to score 65. I said maybe he scratches 25-30. That's exactly what he got. He didn't have... Patrick Kane dishing them one-timer passes and backdoor passes and tap-in power play goals and all these great situations that he got put in because of that extraordinary player. So he didn't put up as many goals. Well, now the salary cap is getting a little tight in Ottawa. 
They bring in Jacob Chitrin. You have all these young players that they just signed to new deals that are kicking in. And Ottawa might want to get rid of Alex Dabrinka. He's still a good goal scorer. So I'm not going to pour salt in the wound and say, I told you so. And you owe me a breakfast and all these great things because it's true. It's true. Cause you were dead wrong. And I was right. All that aside, where's a good market for Alex to He's still a young kid. I think he's 26. He scored 40 goals multiple times in this league. So he's shown if you put him next to a good player, he can put the biscuit in the basket, baby. Triple B. Where does he go? Triple B, double B. Why do they say biscuit in the basket? That's two. Baby. I said baby. Triple B. Triple B. Okay. Um, well, it sucks because he it, it was a year to bet on himself. It was a year to earn himself a lot of money. And he took a step backwards. 27 goals. What is 66 points? I think like still pretty solid, but you had a chance for a big payday and you didn't execute. So it sucks for him. It sucks for Dorian who was hoping either we sign this guy because he lives up to expectations or if he doesn't, we sell him for a boatload of money or a boatload of uh, prospects or picks or whatever. It just doesn't work out. And so where does, where does he go? I don't know. Carolina needs a goal scorer. That was a big thing for them. Although we haven't really seen to bring it in the playoffs. So what does he do? Can he, that's the big issue for Carolina was having finishers who, who can bury in the big moments. Uh, how many playoff games has the Brinkett played? I don't even have that. me straight up. He's played nine. He's gotten four points in nine games, six points in nine games. Excuse me. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What if you put him with Nick David? Don't Probably. you think that's amazing? I just answered that question like that quick. <laughs> Pretty good. Very good, John. Right? Very good. Yeah. To, how much do you think he's going to want? Well, I think he's going to want what Alex Dabrinkit would have gotten if he's scoring 41 goals the year before. So he's going to market saying, I'm a 40 goal scorer. Pay me like a 40 goal scorer. I had 41 and 82. I had 32 and 52, which is a pace of almost 50 goals. Pay me like that guy. He wants that money. He wants $9 million, $10 million. Right now, if you if you tender him a qualifying offer, it has to be at least $9 million. So that's the going rate for Alex to bring it right now. Is he going to get it? <laughs> no. Unless you want to lose your job. There's no way you pay this guy $9 million. I think, you know, his previous contract where he's making 6.4, that Chicago signed him to, 6.4 for three. That'd be a great deal. Like that's a home run for a team. But you just look at the deal Cole Caulfield just got, 7.425, I believe it was. Very comparable players. Very, very comparable skill set, those two guys. I think DeBrickett might be a little better finisher. Caulfield might be a little better with the puck. Does does he crack the $8 million mark, Tim? And if so, is that a good deal for him? I mean, for the team. I don't think I want to pay him more than eight. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to spend $8 million, I feel like you can do better than DeBrickett. So who's he up against this? This um... It's it's a terrible UFA market going. Right. It's not like last year when we had just game changers and lots of guys who were entering their last year. It's it's the cupboards are bare this year. There's not much to go around. So if he is on the market he's the biggest ticket, but I still think like if you're a GM and, and you just got kicked out of the playoffs because you didn't have goal scoring like Carolina, or if you're a team that wants to compete and you're a new GM, like, Calgary, or if you want to take the next step, like Detroit, you, you kick the can on this guy. Like he is a proven goal scorer. I think one of those GMs will make a trade for this guy and they will have to give him eight and a half to $9 million just because he is young. He can score goals and there's no market for any other player like him at his age. So I I think he does get nine. I think he's worth more in the seven and a half range. 
So he will, it, it'll be the opposite of these young contracts. He'll sign for nine and it'll progressively get worse. The deal will get worse and worse. The more he ages by, by year six, seven, eight of his contract, it'll be a terrible contract when Debrinket is 29, 30, 31. First couple of years, maybe he lives up to it, but boy, oh boy, he, Alex is in a great spot. He's proven he can score. He's young. And the team he's on wants to get rid of him. So there should be enough suitors to get him a decent contract. Do you think he gets moved at the deadline or what do you think? Or no, the, the draft, I mean? Yeah, I think before the draft, I think because and what we'll touch on it next is the salary cap isn't going anywhere. It's going up by $1 million. Big deal. So how do you make your team better? You can't go out and sign free agents for big money. You have to make trades. You have to be creative that way. And I think a team will pick up an Alex to bring it instead of trying to find, you know, a free agent or this and that you're going to have to make some trades and he'll go before the draft. I think Ottawa will try to line up their ducks and figure out how their team's going to progress. And if they can't trade him, then they have to figure out what to do in the draft that, that way. So yeah, I don't, and the, and the guys Chicago got for him are doing pretty well. Their first round draft pick was Kevin Korchinski played for the Seattle Thunderhawks, Winterhawks, Nighthawks, Seattle, something in the whl they just lost in the mem cup unbelievable i think he got like 70 points in 60 games he's a d-man he's killing it tim absolutely killing it seventh overall so watch for him in chicago next year the guy will definitely make the jump Connor bedard this kid chicago's got some uh pretty good horses in the stable there tim don't you think i don't want to talk about chicago but not bad not bad let's talk about gary batman the buffoon that is Gary Bettman. Then we'll get out of here. First off, the salary cap. He announced that it's going to increase by $1 million. Who who cares, right? Like, is it just a complete failure, this $1 million projection? It, it's so dumb. How much do you think if COVID never happened, where, where the cap would be right now? 94, 92. Really? Yeah, I think so. Because the way... You, this, the escrow is absolutely crippling the players right now. They still can't pay back the escrow. They made over expectation. I think they made close to $6 billion this year, which is great. I think they were projected to make 5.6 to 5.8. So it, it's a boon that they made that much, but they're still paying down the escrow. The players still owe somewhere in the range of $500 million to, to the NHL from the COVID debacle. So the salary cap won't go up a substantial amount until they pay that money off. So it's just maybe, maybe in two years, you know, 25, 26, 26, 27, will we see a substantial bump in salary cap up, up above the 90 million threshold, which we were promised was going to be a few years back. But Gary Bettman's a dirty dirtbag of a liar. So you can't trust him as far as you can throw him which is a long way because he's soulless and heartless. There's nothing in his chest. So anyways, another reason why the escrow is where it's at is because the Arizona Coyotes are still a team that sucks money from the players and the players have to pay them money because they hemorrhage money every single year because they play in a college arena. They don't spend to the floor, not even close to the floor because all their cap space is eaten up by guys on LTIR which counts against the cap for some dumb reason. So they pay out probably $30 million, but their cap floor is $60 million. It's a joke. They're still paying, I think, Gordie Howe somehow. Anyways, Gary Bettman was asked 
if they're going to move the Coyotes after the whole rink debacle with Tempe and the people in Phoenix voted it down and said, get this garbage team out of my city. Gary Bettman said, he was asked, why are you so patient with the Arizona Coyotes? And he goes, it's a good market. We're in a better position to resist moving than maybe 20 or 30 years ago. What does that mean? What does that mean? For 20 whatever years this franchise has been around, you were playing in an NHL arena and now you're not. You're not in a better position now. I don't understand it. Uh, he he must have some kind of somebody must want this team to stay in Arizona because it doesn't make sense. How how much of a worse position do you have to be in to it's move the, the team? It's the Saudis. They're investing in this team. That's what it is. They have to be. How else are you staying in Arizona? You don't have a rink. You've exhausted, I think, two or three cities. Phoenix doesn't want you. Glendale was doesn't want you. Tempe, you're not allowed to go there. So three of the biggest cities in the surrounding area are checked off the list. We got to start going like Scottsdale, maybe moving around. Maybe I, I, it's just he's so incredibly dumb. Anyways, I just thought I'd add that Arizona Coyote just dumping on them right at the very end because Gary just bothers me. He just bothers me. He just doesn't get it. Get out of Arizona. All right. Anything else, Tim? Uh, Two things. First, there was a poll that The Athletic did where they asked fans and listeners and whatever um, to rank the best to worst NHL broadcast teams. Guess who got the very worst? The Bruins. Yeah. Jack, Jack Edwards. Edwards. That's not even like an, a question. Yeah, he's awful. Who got 32 the 32 of 32. Yeah. Uh, Vegas. 32 of 32 oh. votes? No, no, no. 30, second place. Um, oh, yeah. Kraken got the best. So bad. Kraken, Kraken. Eddie Olchuk. Good for them. And Love then um, this is, I don't know if this is an actual rumor or something that was just floating around social media, but it's interesting. Tell me what you think of this trade possibility. The Leafs trade Willie Nylander to Detroit for Mo Sider. Well, terrible for Detroit. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, Nylander's great. Don't get me wrong, but Mo Sider's friend of the show. The only thing I think of was that Sider, you you still don't, you might not know exactly what you have in him. You know what I mean? Like, he's still so young. Who who is he going to be? Where Nylander, you know what you've got. He's a very good player. Sider took a minor step back last year. Does he come back? A lot of kids have started hot and then never really panned out. You know what I mean? There's still some risk there, but I agree with you. It's a pretty common thing to have a sophomore slump. There's a reason there's a saying they're successful their rookie year. Maybe they don't do as much in the offseason. They think they have the NHL game figured out, so they don't work as hard. They come back expecting to kind of continue their upward trajectory. And all of a sudden they go, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe not. NHL is a pretty legit league. I got to go back to the drawing board in the offseason. He'll come back in his third year and be a very good hockey player. And mind you, a bad season for Mo Sider is 42 points in an 82-game season. And he's only been in the league two years. He hasn't missed a game. He's played every single game. He went overseas, played fantastic in every international tournament he played in. The guy's a stud, Tim. He's an absolute stud. He's 22 years old. What is his bridge deal going to look like or second contract in the league? This is his last year. Let's talk about this for a second because you brought up front of the show, Mo Sider. What's his deal? Is it going to be long-term, eight years? Stevie Y is going to want to get him locked up, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm thinking like Heisken and McAvoy money, you know? How that much is that? Million, Nine million dollars, yeah. Yeah, I, I would think so. He he will be one of the top five paid defensemen this year. 
going into next year. He has to be. 22-year-old, won the Calder, absolute truck on the back end, good with the puck. Like he, smooth skater. Wings are going to be dangerous to him. They got 30 million to spend. 30 he's million. so good. Yeah. <laughs> he's so good. Like he's so good. You got Dylan Larkin. They need to add some more talent. They really do. I don't know if I like that Bertuzzi trade. Because he did well for the Bruins. I hope they keep him. I think they should. The Bruins? Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're going to lose Bergeron. They're going to lose Krejci. So they have some money to spend. No, they don't. Their cap is not looking good. Cover that another day. But yeah. So, hey, uh, game three tonight. Who do you like? Florida. I think this one goes to overtime. Two overtimes. Florida gets back into the series with a win. Matthew Kachuk. Um, Sam Bennett. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, Florida. Yeah, I don't know about overtime, but I think Florida comes back, bounces back in this one. We're just, I think we're just hopeful, right? If anything, you want it to be a series. Yeah. Yeah. If it goes three rip, we're just canceling the podcast. Like, what's there to talk <laughs> about? <laughs> what are we going to talk about? Nothing. Take a couple of weeks off. Oh, man, the first round was so good. It really was. What's going on? All right. Whatever. We'll catch you guys on Friday. Watch the game. Have some fun. And go kill those moles. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for listening to Dropping the Gloves with John Scott, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode. 